Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Please go back with me to John 13 for a moment. Just for a moment, John 13, we are talking about living the life of a disciple. We have been going over the characteristics of what Jesus said a disciple is. We've already covered uh, five of them in detail. We're on the sixth one, the sixth characteristic of a disciple. It's vital to learn if you want to walk out the life of a disciple. How, how, how uh, awesome is it that you can live the life of a disciple of Jesus? So what is that like? What does that mean? Well, Jesus said in Luke 6, a disciple's not above his teacher, but if he's perfectly trained, fully trained, he'll be just like his teacher. Now, th- just think about that for a moment. Let that just set on you. Let that rest on your heart for a minute. If I'm completely trained by Jesus of being a disciple of his and walk it out, I can be like him. I can sound like him. I can see what he sees. I can know what he knows. When I face situations and challenges in life, I don't have to be limited to my natural knowledge. I can hear from God. I can know what to do. I can know what to say. I can know where to go. I can know where not to go. Oh, man, I'm telling you, to live the life of a disciple is, one of the, is honestly the greatest way to live life, period. But there are things that are required. So we've already talked about, as this is already the 16th part in our series, we've already talked about the significance of the initial uh, primary elements of what a disciple has to walk through. Now we're just looking at what the characteristics are of a disciple. This is the sixth one. John 13, verse 35. 13, 35. By this, some will know. How many? By this, only the body of Christ will know. Nope. By this what? All will know that you are what? Tell me out loud, please. You are my disciples if you have what? If you have love for one another. So he didn't just say other believers would know this. He said all would know. All would know you're, Jesus's, you're a disciple of Jesus. That you're truly walking with somebody far beyond the planet of a normal human if you do what? Have love for one another. Now, let me show you something real quick. I don't have time to go into all this in detail. Let me show you why that will be so proven and so evident. I want you to turn to Isaiah 60. We looked at this the other night. Isaiah 60. This should excite you. Isaiah chapter 60. I don't have time, but in 1 John chapter 3 and 4, there's a lot about the love of God in these two chapters. 1 John 3 and 4. And one of the keys in 1 John 4, it tells us, is that if you're walking in love, the Bible says you're walking in the light. And we'll see that today. We're going to actually get there and talk about those verses today. If you and I are walking in the light, then clearly, what did it say again in John 13, 35? All will know. All will know what? You're, you're a disciple of Jesus. What would that, how would they know you're a disciple of Jesus? You look like him. You act like him. And therefore, you're clearly doing what? Showing love for one another. So in 1 John 4, it says that if you walk in love towards others, you walk in the light. What if you don't? You walk in darkness. Well, we have this prophetic promise in Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine. Do what? Arise, shine. The phrase to shine here, as you're about to see, is to have the manifest presence of God evident on your life. I want you to get that. It's going to refer to the manifest presence of God evident on your life. Well, if the manifest presence of God was evident on Jesus, wouldn't that be why they knew he was different? Yes. Yes. Kathy's the only one. Gopi's the only one going to answer that. If the manifest presence of God was evident on Jesus, wouldn't that be why they knew he was clearly the son of God and different? Sure. How are they going to know you are one of his disciples? All will know. How are they going to know that? By walking in love. If you walk in love, what are you walking in? Light. You're shining. Arise and shine because your light has come. So this is prophetic of the day. Now we're in the new covenant. And once Jesus came, our light 
bringing the love of God, Romans 5, 5, to dwell in our heart. That light's now available to us. When we choose to walk in the love of God, the reason all will know we're his disciple is because clearly this light, God's love, will be a part of our life. And therefore, next statement, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. God's manifest presence. It will be evident upon your life. What what will be the actual evidence that that's true? Because you're walking in love, it will bring that manifest presence of God. God is love. Walking in love, you're walking in God. I said, walking in love, you're walking in God. Verse 2 says, behold, darkness shall cover the earth. That's already happened. I said, that's already happened. Deep darkness, the people, that's already happened. You know, for a long time, America was seemingly pretty exempt still from a lot of the darkness, but not any longer. (laughs) Right? Even over all the people. Look how deceived the people are. If you're wondering what's going on today... Why in the world is it that common sense seems to have gone out the window? God said, I will have to, at a point, give people over to their own delusion. How can somebody stand up who claims to be a leader to our nation and say, I've made everything better than it was before I took office? How can you say that? You're delusional. You're delusional. I'm I'm not speaking against the person. I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, go look at the gas prices from where they are now from where they were then. Go look at the grocery store prices. Go look at all, go look at all these things. You've made everything better. Look at our border. We have the biggest national security threat in the history of our nation. Thus saith the high upper echelon of military and people that know this. Why are they not saying it publicly? This government will not let them do so. They work for this government. There are a few speaking out, but the reality is when all of destructions came to any form of a nation, where did it come? From within. And thus we see it happening in our country. I, years ago, I saw this when we started, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti any individual as far as their initial background, but you know why you came to America? Because you love this nation. Why do you want to change it then? Why do you want to change it to the place you came from? If you hated the place you came from, why are you trying to turn it into that? But that's what they're trying to do. So why would you do that? Why would you leave a home? Let's just use it from a simple example. Let's say you live in a home where you're beaten, mistreated, have almost nothing to eat, for, you know, poorly clothed, poorly housed, etc. But you want to leave there and go over across the street to this really nice house where they seem to have everything. But you want to turn it into what you came from. And that's stupid. Can I give you a word again? Delusional. That's delusional. And we are at the state of delusion according to the Bible in the last days. Because clearly darkness has not just covered the earth. It's covered the people. Now all you believers, quit calling all of these people names. Quit calling them names doesn't change anything. You listening? They're delusional. They're walking in a state of delusion of which the Bible said what happened in the last days. I'm not saying you can agree with what they're doing and saying it's okay. Lord, no, I don't agree with it. But I'm glad that they're not my source, my God is. So again, he said in verse 2, Behold, darkness covered the earth, deep darks of the people. What? But the Lord will do what? The Lord will do what? Tell me out loud. He will arise over you and his glory will again be what? So how in the world, John 13, 35, how are all going to know? How are all going to know that we're one of his disciples? Because the way that you get this glory on you is by walking in love itself. Because you're walking in God. You and I need to do everything we can to mature and perfect our love walk. But again, you got to understand God's love. So I don't have time to go back, sorry, but we've already defined from the Bible, from the very word of God directly what love is and what love isn't. I want you to turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. We've already defined what love is and what love isn't, clearly. Because a lot of people, the other side of that is, think about this. If you're the deceiver, if you're Satan, if you're the enemy... And you know that you obviously have people in the church, in the body of Christ, who understand they're supposed to walk in love, and they know that. They know they're supposed to walk in love. They know they're not supposed to hate one another. Are you going to convince them to hate one another? Not most people. No, not unless they're delusional. But you're not going to convince them to hate one another. So what do you got to do? Get them to walk in a form of false love. And there is a lot of false love in the earth. Love doesn't mean that we all commune together. Love doesn't mean that we all like each other. Love doesn't mean that we treat everybody. I'm talking about in relationship to relationally, 
walking close with somebody the same. We do not, there, we're warned in Scripture in the New Testament, even about certain believers we're not supposed to have anything to do with. New Testament, Bible says if you know of a New Testament believer in adultery, they're doing it openly, they don't care, don't even eat with them. Well, that don't sound like love. New Testament tells you that. It says if somebody is living in open adultery, don't even have a meal with them. Well, I thought we were supposed to walk in love. You are. How do you walk in love? Don't slander them. Don't go tell everybody else you know what they're doing. I mean, if they're doing it openly, I mean, it's pretty well known. But you, your, your, your purpose isn't to go broadcast it to the world. Right? It doesn't mean if I pass them, I go, ain't talking to you. You know what I just say? Hey, good to see you. God bless you. Love you. And I move on. Are you listening? Because I mean it. I love them. I wish they wouldn't do what they're doing. I wish they wouldn't hurt their life. But I'm not going to risk what the Bible tells me I shouldn't do to not guard my heart and protect myself from this. So love doesn't mean that we're buddy-buddy with everybody. Love doesn't mean we go hang out at everybody's houses. Man, Timothy, he gives us a whole long list of people who, who are called believers. Right. You know, I'm talking about Christians. Right. I'm serious, man. They're, they're unthankful. They're unholy. They're, they're, they're unsubmissive. All the, and he says, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They have a form. That, meaning what? They say they're Christians. They say they love God, but yet they're unthankful, they're unholy, they're ungrateful, they're not, they're not honoring of parents, they're not honoring of leadership, all these different things. And you know what it says at the end there? From such turn away. So love doesn't mean we hang with everybody, we're just buddy buddies with everybody. No, you got to understand that clearly you got to define love from the Bible to walk in Bible love. I'd like to go back and reteach it all, but I don't have time, but we've already covered it. So realize we talk about walking in love, what are we talking about? Bible love. According to what the Bible teaches us love is. Amen? Love forgives how many? Everybody. Right? Love holds a grudge against nobody. I don't care how bad they treated you. Listen, we treated God really bad because of the sin we had, and yet he still chose to love us. So we got to understand Bible love. I just need to emphasize that so clear because you got to know what Bible love is, and we've already defined that for you in detail. Now we're talking about why walking in love is so critical for the believer. Why is this walking in love so significant and critical for the believer? Galatians chapter 5. Let me give you some of the top reasons of why. If, if I couldn't encourage you any more through the Word of God than today to start making sure you're walking in love. And don't just think you are. You know, who, who's the greatest person to ask whether you're walking in love or not? It ain't me. It ain't even your spouse. Great as your spouse might be, who's the greatest person you can ask of whether you're walking in love or not? God. God knows everything about you. Uh, if, what I would do if I was you, every time you hear teaching on love, is I would remind myself as I do. I go to God and I say, okay, God, if I'm, in, out, if I'm out of line anywhere in this area of walking in love, you show me. Holy Spirit, you convict my heart. Because look what I'm going to show you today of what the results will be if you don't walk in love. Galatians chapter 5. You still here? Yes. Verse 1 here says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty, liberty, the freedom by which Christ has made us free. Stand fast in it. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now I've got to bring all this up because of what he's going to say in this verse in a minute. But he, Paul writing to the Galatians here, of course, you know, he birthed this church. He brought them the gospel, got them born again, got them saved. They were a very religious, staunch group of people. And he said, you're not going to earn your salvation. It's not by upholding the law. Jesus fulfilled it. You are now to actually receive by faith what Jesus did. It's the only way to get right with God. These people were still trying to get right with God on their own. He said, impossible. You got to receive Jesus. So now they've been born again. Notice he says, do not become entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, some preachers will tell you, well, that's sin. Honestly, it's not. It's referring to them going back to the actual actions they were doing before, thinking I got to continue to do this to be right with God or stay right with God. No, righteousness is a gift. Right. If I gave you a gift, you didn't earn it. No. And if, you, if I've already given you that gift, guess what? You don't have to do anything to hold on to it. Right. If I gave it to you as a gift, if I truly gave it to you and it's a gift, I say it's yours. I don't have a right to take it back. 
You listening? Well, God gave you righteousness, it's yours. You don't have anything to do to obviously prove that I should still be right with God. You already are. So he's telling them, don't go back after he's liberated you from all of these Old Testament aspects of what was required of the law, trying to get, obviously, protection under the law. Now you've been made right with God. You're free from all that. Don't go back to that. Verse 2, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So part of the problem was they're now saying, well, okay, it's all right that you're born again, but guess what? You guys still got to be circumcised to be right with God. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, he told them to do that under the old covenant, but there was a reason why as a sign of a covenant. But now, guess what? The blood of Jesus has been shed for you. Verse 3, and I testify again to every man, every man who becomes circumcised, he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Meaning that now you're going to be bound under a position of thinking you got to hold on to the whole law, keep the whole law. You're never going to make it. That's why Jesus came. Aren't you glad? Four, he said, you become estranged from Christ. Think about that. You become estranged from Christ. In other words, you don't even realize who this guy is anymore. The son of God, what he did for you. If you did, you wouldn't be trying to do all these things. You who attempt to be justified by what law? You have what? Fallen from grace. So here's where we kind of go off on one or two ditches, right? Fallen from grace. What does it mean to be fallen from grace? We're not acknowledging our right standing through faith alone. But that doesn't mean so now I get to live any way I want because I'm saved by grace. You could. I said you could. You're a, few, you're a free human uh, moral being. You have a right to decide whatever you want to do after you're born again. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to do anything to develop spiritually. You can keep feeding your carnal flesh, sowing to the carnal nature. But the Bible says in the New Testament book of Galatians that if you keep sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. And that's not God's fault. That's because you keep sowing to that. But if you sow the Spirit, tell me out loud. You reap everlasting life, life that is forever. Not just talking about eternity life with God. Talking about it never ends. It's here for today. It'll be here tomorrow. It'll be here the next day. It'll be here next week. It'll be here next month. It'll be here next year. God's Zoe life isn't just for a period of time, one one little span of time. No, it's eternal. It's eternal. But now what determines as a believer if I'm walking in that or not? What are you sowing towards? You're not trying to make yourself right with God. You're walking out what God already did to make you right with him. So he goes on to say here in verse 5, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by what? Faith. So once we've been born again of God, we by the Spirit eagerly wait for the consummation of the completion of what we will have when we stand before him face to face and know that we now have the completion of all that righteousness provided. Amen? Which came how? By faith. Verse 6, now this is what I want to get to. For in Christ Jesus, say in Christ. In Christ Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. What does he mean, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision? It's not based on what you're doing in the natural. It's based on what you believe. I said it's based on what you believe. What you do in the natural can affect what you believe. Because if in the natural, I don't want to take time to come to the church and hear the word of God preach. I'm not going to build a whole lot of faith. A lot of people still have confusion about this, Ken. And this needs to be clarified, Mike. We need to understand this very clearly, Josh. We need to all understand the aspect of what the Bible talked about faith as a mustard seed. He's not saying if you got, I've got mustard seeds in, in my office. I got a vial of them. Who knows how many there are in that little tiny vial? They're little, little, little. He does say, if you just got that little size of faith, man, you can move mountains. Then why aren't Christians doing it? If he's referring to the size of a seed, if you got faith, he didn't say the size. He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, here's how it's preached. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's not what he said. And that one little distinction could affect people from understanding faith. Because if we think it's the size of the faith, well, Romans 5, 5 says you were given a measure of faith. God's going to give you less than a mustard seed? He wants you victorious. He wants you to remove obstacles from your life that hinder you from walking with God. Why would he give you less than a mustard seed then? But that's not what it's referring to. Jesus gave understanding in a parable about the mustard seed. 
He said a mustard seed is very significant, smaller than all other seeds when planted, but, but when it's planted and it starts growing and it fully grows, it becomes bigger than all the rest of the trees. And it becomes so big, guess what it will do? It'll even support the birds of the air. It'll help others. What's he talking about your faith? You got to develop your faith. You got to grow your faith. He gave it to you. You got to use it. You got to exercise it. You got to keep developing it. You got to keep growing it. You grow your faith. That seed you've got in you of faith, man, it'll grow just like a mustard seed. If you, do, if you nurture it and do what's necessary to take care of it and continue to provide what's, what's necessary for it to grow, it'll grow so big in you, there'll be no obstacle to stand in your way. You'll be able to speak to the mountain, command it to move, and it will obey you. Amen. So this relates to what he's talking about here, but faith without... Excuse me, I'm sorry, sorry. But faith, I apologize. I'm now making my own quotation that's not what it says here, although it refers to it. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. So it's not what you're doing in the natural, but faith working through love. Say it, faith working through love. Say it again, please. Faith working. So what does faith have as an element with it? Great power. Because if faith can move a mountain, if faith can look at a fig tree and curse it and command it to die. Right. Yes. What is, let's just take a moment here. I'm not trying to get too far off in this. Let's understand some elements about faith when we're talking about faith in anything, right? What's faith based on? It's based on a word, right. not just the word. No. If you have faith in what somebody said that's a lie, you did so because you based it on what they said, a word. True. Faith doesn't just come... By hearing God's word, faith comes by any word you hear. You hear something long enough, you start believing it. Sadly, you think of people raised by families, you're dumb, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. Ones that have believed that, how'd they, how'd they get to believe that? How'd they, how'd they come to believe that? Through what they were hearing somebody say. But so is it with God's word. Faith in our God, come on, has the power to move mountains. Faith in our God has the power to command demons to leave. Yes. Faith in, the, in our God has the power once spoken. But what's the source of our faith then? God's word as it relates to God. Yes. Well, how much word do you have? How much do you hear the word? How often do you get to hear the word? How much do you come to church to hear it? How much do you, how much do you speak the word to yourself? Yes. Yes. So faith comes by hearing by the but what if I've got the faith but not love? Faith works through. So I could have faith to move mountains. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? But if I don't have love, it's not going to work. All right, number one, point number one, why it's so important to walk, uh, walk in love. Your faith depends on it. I want to say it that way. Your faith depends on it. What does your faith depend on? Love. Your faith, even though you've got it, can't help you without what? Without love. If you get out of love, guess what your faith does? It stops working. It stops working. I said it stops working. A lot of people don't realize this. They don't have a faith problem. They have a love problem. They have a love problem. A lot of Christians, in, in truth, if they've heard enough of the word... Developed it, matured it, etc. I'm talking about their faith. Guess what? They have a faith problem. I don't understand why it's not working. Well, have you ever chucked your love walk? Because faith works through, faith works through, faith working through love. It, what, what is significant is not whether you've been circumcised or uncircumcised, but whether or not you have faith working through love. So I want you to get this. The context of this in the relationship to the Amplified says faith is activated. Get this. Faith is activated. Now it's going to work. Now it's doing something. It's energized. It is expressed. Good to have it, but it doesn't do any good unless you can express it. Say it's activated. It's energized. And it's expressed. Last, last statement. And working... Through love. So the Amplified says faith is activated, energized. This is the traditional, brings out the original Greek. It is activated, energized, expressed, and working through love. What if I'm not walking in love? Then your faith is not active. It's not energized. Cannot be expressed and won't work for you. 
I've given you this example many times. You could have a power plant generating tons of power. It could light up a whole city. But if you don't have the power lines, Justin can tell you how all that stuff works. I have no idea. He's an electrician. Couldn't even tell you. I just know it works. You could have all that power in one plant. But if you don't have the power lines to transfer that power from where it comes to where it needs to go to make it work, you got all that power generated, but it's not what? Energized. It's not active. It's not working. It's sitting there, but it's not doing any, anybody any good. You can walk around and just be amazed. Look at that power. Look at that power plant. How many, how many, watch, how many, how many watts does an average power plant have, Josh, Justin? Do you know? How many watts? A, take a guess, man. Just take a shot at it. Yeah. Any idea? A whole power plant. Be like megawatts, right? I mean, you, you can sit there and just bow down to it, worship. Whoa, look at all this power, man. Praise God. Isn't that power wonderful? Well, I guarantee it is if you put it to work. The moment you got born again, you were given a measure of faith. Romans 5.5. 5. If you're developing that faith, and I'll guarantee your measure could not have been smaller than a mustard seed to begin with, but you need to grow it. But if you've been given faith and you're developing faith, guess what you are? You're like a power plant. You're like a power plant producing more and more power. The more you speak the word of God to yourself, it's like, it, literally, it, you know, I, I used to live in Arizona, man. I rodeoed all over that place, man. I went all over Nevada, Vegas, all over different places to rodeos, man, all over Arizona. And every time we go to Vegas, you drive across what's known as the Hoover Dam. Yeah. And finally, one time, some buddies of mine, because we're always usually too busy hurrying to get the next rodeo, thought, hey, let's stop and check out the Hoover Dam. So we did. Walked out across that dam. Ever been, everybody been there? One of the largest dam. Might be the largest. I don't remember, but it's one of the largest dams there is. And, you know, interesting to learn the history of it, how it was built and all that stuff. But you stand out of that Hoover Dam and you look down, you watch this water flowing out of there. And if you don't understand how it works, guess what's down inside there? Turbines. Guess what that water's doing is it's flowing past those turbines, turning them turbines. Why? Producing energy, producing power to send to the cities, to send to Vegas and all the surrounding areas to give them power. All that power is being produced, but what if they didn't have a way to get it somewhere? So, folks, you got to understand, you could have all the faith in the world, like Paul said, to move mountains, but without love, you got no way to utilize it. How significant is your love walk? Let me ask another question. How many want to see your faith work every time? Raise your hand if you want to see your faith work every time. Well, guess what? What if you're not walking in love in an area of your life? Your faith is being literally hindered, held back. Won't work. Won't work. Brother Hagin, one of the greatest men of God I know walking in faith and healing, said, if I ever saw any time that I prayed about anything more than a handful of days and no results, I started checking my love walk. Amen. Immediately. Have I spoken against somebody? Have I said something I shouldn't have? Is there somebody I hadn't forgiven? Now, we're not talking about just going through your head and trying to remember somebody you didn't forgive, you know, 60 years ago or something. We're, we're talking about listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the devil can take you. How many know the devil can take you on a wild goose chase and, and get you chasing all kinds of stupid stuff? No, he would just check inside. Say, check inside. So what do you need to do? Check with the Holy Spirit. Lord, is there somebody I haven't forgiven? That's what I mean when he would check his love walk, not in his head. He would check his heart. Is there somebody I said something to I shouldn't have? Somebody I haven't forgiven? Something? And he said almost all the time I'd find out there was something that maybe I had done wrong or needed to correct or fix. And the moment I did, guess what happened? Boom, that prayer got answered. Amen. It's like you reconnected the line. Come on, Texas people. I mean, a while back, we had some really strong windstorms here a couple months ago, a few months ago, and our electric went out. Why? Because somewhere the line got disconnected. Or the generator, maybe, I don't know. But a lot of times that's line issues, you know, where the lines become, because of the winds, you know, the lines get pulled loose and become disconnected. Well, lo and behold, guess what the electric company did? They got it reconnected. Amen. Pretty cool. You know why? Lights came back on. Yeah. Stuff worked again. You know why stuff ain't working in a lot of our lives? We've disconnected. Love dis uh, getting out of love disconnects you from the faith source, the power source, which is the faith of God in your heart. I think you might want to think about walking in love. Amen. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And again, even though most of us probably know these things, 
realize that today, a lot of people don't get this. A lot of people don't get this about church. God brings things back to your remembrance, reminds you about stuff you may have already heard, constantly deals with you, brings it back before you. Why? He wants you to get it. You might be having issues. You might be having challenges. Why isn't this working? Why hasn't this happened yet? Why isn't he may be giving your answer today? Well, I'll guarantee if you listen, he'll speak to you. He'll reveal what you need to hear if you listen. Because God's got something to say to all of us. Can I get a better amen? I could read today from the Song of Solomon, and he would still speak to your heart if you'd listen. As long as you're speaking the Word of God. He's, it ain't about how much your pastor can figure out with his head and come up with. No, he needs to be led by the Holy Ghost. And what he's saying is he's preaching because that's a type of inspired utterance. But realize God's got something to say to all of us, including me. Matthew 18, you with me? Listen to this. A lot of people don't like this parable. But it's in here. Jesus spoke it. How many think we ought to learn from it? Matthew 18, 21. Peter came to Jesus. He said, Lord, how often? Come on, how often shall I, uh, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter, you know, aren't you glad for Peter? Peter taught us so much. Really? Paul opened his mouth. You know, the truth is, you ever heard this? There's no dumb questions. There aren't. There aren't. You know, I've called my pastor before and so said, this is probably going to sound like a dumb question. He reminded me what I tell everybody else comes to me in my church. There are no dumb questions, Daryl. Ask the question. You got a question that's not dumb. You need to answer. If I can give it to you, I'll help you. So you got to believe this. You got to believe Peter is not only asking this question for himself, but he's also thinking I'm being pretty generous. Yeah. You're going to ask like a lowball? <laughs> How many times should I forgive him? Maybe once? He's going, nah, that wouldn't be right. You know, he's probably thinking about this before he said it. Eh. Three times? Nah, that's still not much. Seven, yeah, that's quite a bit, man. Seven times? Forgive one person seven times? Yeah, that's quite a bit. So how many times, Lord? Up to seven? The Lord said, I did not say up to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Excuse me? Could you? Wouldn't you love this? Wouldn't it be cool, in a sense, if they would have had, you know, iPhones back in the day? To get to see that conversation. See the look on Peter's face. What? <laughs> 70 times 7? Are you serious? Because you know he's thinking that. Come on, you got to know he's thinking that. Really? He said 7. He thought he was good. No, 70 times your 7. Does anybody know how to do math here? 490 times. If you look at the... I think it's Mark's gospel account. You know what Mark said? In a day. It's not a lifespan. Don't get a book and start writing down. There's one, two. You're probably not going to get to 490 in a day with one person. If that's a friend, you probably need some new friends. Would you agree? I probably need some new friends. He wasn't saying when you get to 490 in a day, there you go. The sun's still up. This day's not over. I forgave you 490. I don't have to give you for 491. He's not saying that. He's just saying you always do what? Forgive. Want to see it? Are you ready for this? I'll start with this and I'll end with some better scriptures so this doesn't send you out here with a bad taste in your mouth before lunch. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he begun to settle accounts, with, uh, settle accounts one was brought to him who owed him how many? 10,000 talents. If you don't know, that right there was a lifetime's worth of wages for somebody that made good money in their day. Likely he could repay that? Not likely. Not and take care of his family and do everything else he had to do. Not, not possible. So the, it, this is a parable. So it's not, an, it's not an actual truth. It's a parable to explain a truth. He said that this guy owed 10,000 talents. Was it be possible for him to pay it back? It would not. 25, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. In their day, they could do so. Sold meaning I'm going to get out of you what I can. I'm not going to get this amount, but I have the right because in that day, I have the right because you owe me money. I can sell you, I can sell your wife, I can sell your family as well as slaves. And at least take what money I can get out of selling you for. Because that's all I'm going to get. 
So he could have done that. He said, I want you to be taken. You sell these people off. You get what money you can for me. 26, but the servant did what? He fell down before him. Saying, Master, listen carefully. Have patience with me and I will do what? Tell me out loud, please. Now that statement was not a truthful statement because again, the amount he owed was a lifetime's worth of wages. Not possible. He just begging and pleading for mercy here. Because obviously if not, guess what's going to happen? He's going to become a slave. His wife's going to become a slave. His kids are going to become slaves. They're going to be slaves, period. 27, the master of that servant underlined this place was moved with compassion. Say it. Say it, please. What do he released him? And he forgave him the entire debt. Done deal. You don't owe me nothing. Get out of my sight. Go away. Wow. What a feeling that must have been. Imagine if you just went into your banker, right, and you owed a bunch of money in a mortgage, and your banker said, you know what? I'm tired of receiving your payments. It's paid for. Just leave here. You owe me nothing. I don't guess you'd be very happy that day. You'd probably be pretty depressed about it. This is a lifetime's worth of wages he couldn't pay back, far beyond that. Imagine how excited he must have felt. How good must he have felt inside to say, wow. I'm released. So you think now he's going to go out and do what? I'm going to do everybody good. Man, this master's been so good to me. You kidding me? Who could I bless? Who could I help now? That's not what he did. 28, that servant went out and did what? He found one of his fellow servants, his own servants. Who owed him what? Tell me. Now that's about a year's worth of wages in their time. One year. One year's worth of wages. He owed him a hundred... he owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him. He took him by the throat and he said, you pay me what you owe. Excuse me, you were just forgiven a lifetime's worth of wages. I'm going to explain this in a minute. You just owe me a year's worth of wages, but I want every penny you owe me. He's really grateful for what he was forgiven for, isn't he? His fellow servant did what? He fell down at his feet. He begged him saying, have patience with me and I will do what? Would it have been possible? Yes. Would have taken more than a year because it was years worth of wages, but it was possible. Could have set him up on a payment plan, started paying it out. Possible. He could have done it. What would be the smart thing to do in that that case? Set up an agreement, let him pay you out, or you're not going to get your money back. Right? But notice verse 30. But what did he do? He would not do what? Would Would not allow him to pay it out. He went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Did he have a right to? Yeah, because he owed him money. The same as his master could have done to him. So, verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had been done, now you're not going to like the rest of this. When his fellow servants had saw what had been done, the guy that didn't forgive the other guy with a year's worth of wages, they were very what? Grieved. And they came to what? They told their master. Well, them little tattletales. Well, the purpose is the word got back to his master. Look what this guy's done. Can you believe it? He forgave him a lifetime's worth of wages. If you haven't picked up on it by now, Guess what God did when he forgave you? He forgave you a lifetime's worth of, of, of wages. You owed a lifetime's worth of sin. You could no way pay that debt. He released you and forgave you. He forgave you of it all. I said of it all. So these amounts are not just by some happenstance thrown in there. He knows exactly what he's saying. Uh, 31, so his fellow servant uh, saw what had been done. They go, they, uh, notice what happened. His fellow servants, when they saw what had been done, go tell his master all that happened. 32, his master then does what? His master after this called him back and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Underline it, you wicked servant. Underline that. Jesus is talking here, folks. This is God talking. You wicked servant. Servant. 33, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Answer? A little louder than that, please. 34, and his master was what? Angry. And he delivered him to who? Torturers. Until he should do what? Pay all that was due him. Could he have done it? Nope. Couldn't do it. 35, you ready? You're not going to like this part. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. Wow. Jesus said it. You want to throw something at me? I'll take the hit. But Jesus said it, not me. 
So you know what Jesus just said? What did he say would happen in this case of the parable with the one who brought that servant back who wouldn't forgive? What did he say he did? Turn him over to who? Who did he turn him over to? Who are the torturers, basically? Demons. Satan. Evil. Can I get a better amen? What's this saying to me and you? God is not literally, in essence, locking you up or in essence saying, okay, Satan, I give them to you. You know what God's saying? How many know God promises us protection from the evil one? You know what God's saying? Guess what? You're now free prey for the enemy. Because you're choosing not to forgive and walk in love. I cannot, ready for this? I cannot protect you any longer from the torturers. Some people think they can live however they want. God will protect them. You can't walk in unforgiveness and get it. So point number two, why is it important to walk in love? You ready? So I don't become open prey for Satan. You are open prey for Satan when you get out of love because guess who's not going to walk in love? Satan's not. So when you, when you get out of love, you are open prey for him because guess who you're actually following after? The dictates of the flesh. And in essence, that's the fallen nature of your old, old being. And who is that under the aspect of a, of a nature like? That's under the nature of Satan, not God. So you and I got to realize this. If you and I get, this is, how, how important is it to walk in love, church? Think of not forgiving one person for something they've done to you. And God said, Jesus said, if you, if you don't forgive, guess what? Your heavenly father has no way to forgive you. And therefore, he has to turn you over to the torturers. Not turn you over like, come on, torturers, come get them. God and Satan don't work together. He's his enemy. He's already defeated him, by the way. He's already put him under our feet. But he's still in this earth and he can still disrupt and do things if we don't understand how he functions, how he works. So any area that I hold any form of unforgiveness against anybody, I just said, hey, here's like what I did. It's like that back door, right? So let's say we don't want to allow anybody evil to walk in that back door representing our home to come in and harm us as a family. That I'm not just going to allow anybody that has a full intent of coming in and just wreaking havoc with me, my wife, my kids, my family. I, I don't want to go open that door and just allow anybody to walk in that door and just come do whatever they want. Some evil, nasty, mean, harmful terrorist walks up to your house, knocks on the door, you open the door, he says, I want to come in here, kill everybody, destroy your whole home. Oh, yeah, just come on in. Yeah, hey, we welcome everybody here. Would you do that? Let me help you, especially in Texas. Most people know that ain't going to happen. Well, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. That's not referring to people out intentionally trying to, trying to do you harm. Right. Amen. There's other verses for this. But would you allow that in the natural? No. Why do we allow it in the spiritual? Come on, somebody. Why do we allow it in the spiritual? Because we don't understand how significant it is to hold unforgiveness against somebody else. If you hold unforgiveness with somebody else, you already know the enemy, how, how nasty, mean, and how detrimental he is. But you know what you just said? You open the door to your life spiritually and said, Satan, come on, man. Bring every demon you can. Bring your best shot. Come on, bring it on in. Just, just come and torture our family openly. But that's what we do. Pretty serious consequences. Well, I thought God was love. He is. And when you get out of love, guess what love can't do? Operate in your life. You hinder love from working when you get into form of a hatred mode and won't forgive somebody. Well, you just don't know what they've done to me. All right, let's go back to the point. The point of the parable is, were you the actual guy in relationship to what obviously owed just a year's worth of wages? Or were you the guy that owed a lifetime? We owed a lifetime. We owed a lifetime of sin to God. Guess what he did? He forgave it all. Why would we not forgive now in the natural? See, I don't have the power to forgive somebody of sin for eternity. That's God's business. But somebody now that's wronged me in the natural of something that I could release them and forgive them of, and I choose not to, something of a natural issue of something they said bad against me, did against me, I'm going to hold that. Against one individual when God released me of everything I've ever done. They've committed this one, two, five, 490 in a day incident. But not a lifetime of sin against you. And I can't release them when I've been forgiven of a lifetime. Sure you can. 
Now, I got to say this real quick in, in getting, try to get to my next point here, but I want to get this in about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. It's, it's like a judicial legal decision. It is literally informed to as a form of a judicial agreement of what you do in your heart between them, you do in your heart between you and God of what they have done to you to release them and let them go. So it's like somebody who comes in a courtroom is wrong, but you know what the judge says? Out of my courtroom, boom, I release you. What, meaning what, I'm not bringing you back in here. I'm not bringing you back in here to remind you what you did wrong. Will you always do this? I'm not, uh-uh, I release you this. As far as I'm concerned, it's off the books. You're out of here. I'm not calling you back. It's a done deal. Say it's a choice. Even though your feelings or your in life in some way may have been hurt, when you choose to forgive, you allow God now to work. Guess what God does? He's the healer, not the herder. He's not the torturer. You torture yourself. Unforgiveness is like you having a glass of poison and choosing to drink and thinking somehow I'm going to hurt them. That's unforgiveness. You're taking the bitterness of what they've done and you're drinking it, holding it in and thinking somehow that's going to hurt them because I'm not going to forgive them. You're not going to hurt them a bit. You're going to hurt you. You're going to destroy your life. It ain't worth it. I said it ain't worth it. Say it's a choice. So to forgive is just a simple decision to say, you know what? It doesn't mean, oh, I, so, I feel so lovey-dovey towards you now because I'm forgiving you. No, see, love's not a feeling. We've already gone over that, right? Defining God's love. God's not, God's not a feeling. He's a person. First John 4, love is God. God is love. So we're actually operating on the principle of he's in me now. I choose to release because he released me. I don't care how bad they've been to me. Now, you know what the devil try to do? He'll try to get you to bring it back up. He'll always try to remind you what they did wrong. But you know what you're supposed to do according to the Bible? Does anybody know what you're supposed to do? Thank you, Kathy. Resist him steadfast in the faith. How do you resist him steadfast in the faith? Nope, I'm walking by faith. You're not taking away my faith walk. You're not going to get me out of love, not see my faith not work. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. No, devil. You don't go back and deal with them again. You deal with the thoughts that the enemy's bringing to you. Nope, I already forgave them. See, the problem is if you don't address it immediately, it's like the Bible says in the book of James, resist the devil and he will. Resist the devil and he will. It's like one time Brother Hagin said, you know, I remember seeing an article. Remember newspapers? Yes. <laughs> some of you over 30 probably have no idea what a newspaper is anymore. But... There's still some around. I know I wouldn't probably read them today. <laughs> he said, I saw uh, one time a, a, a clipping in a newspaper where a local guy had drawn a picture of the devil coming against somebody. And he was like, you know, with the, with the long pitchfork, you know, with the little pointy things on it and the horns on his head, you know, and all red and all this kind of stuff showing up. He said, I wonder if that's what Christians are waiting to see before they start resisting him. You know, what he, you know what he sounds like? You know what he looks like? Hey, don't you remember what they did to you? He's showing up. What are you supposed to do? Resist him immediately. No, no, I've released him. You stinking devil. I ain't going there in Jesus' name. I walk in love, praise God. You're not robbing. What's the devil trying to do when he tries to get you out of love? Anybody know? He's trying to get your faith to not work. Because your faith works, guess what? He's in trouble. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We have all separate teachings on forgiving and how that works and how healing comes and all that takes place. But folks, if you choose not to forgive, you are, you are literally open territory for the tormentor to torment your life and take advantage of your life. I would suggest you instantly forgive. I teach all the time in marriage counseling. If you truly want to see your marriage work, you better learn to be an instant forgiver. I knew I'd get a lot of amens on that, so I'll say it again. You better learn to be an instant. Because what if you're not instant? You open the door. Come on, devil. Come on in here for a while. We'd just like to fool around with you for at least an hour or so. Because the Bible says that you're to give him no place. You start giving him place, guess what? You start opening opportunity for him to take further advantage of your life. Are you listening? So don't just be a forgiver. You know what you need to learn to be? An instant forgiver. Don't walk up to the person wrong. I forgive you. 
First of all, what if they haven't repented? Then they don't even know that you've forgiven them. I'm serious. It's not for them. It's for you. Now, if somebody, I've, I've had it happen. Kathy's done it with me. I've done it with her. I've done it with others. I said, I'm sorry for what I just said. Or she would say it to me. I said, don't, it's okay. I forgive you. Nothing wrong with saying that. But if somebody wronged you, obviously, and they haven't repented, you don't say, well, I forgive you for that. You don't need to tell them that. They're going to look at you for what? You know what you're going to do? You have to have something else to forgive them for now. <laughs> Come on, somebody. If they don't think they did anything wrong, you're about to get some more of what they don't think is not wrong. And you have to have more to, why do you want to deal with more to forgive for? Amen. Just deal with the first offense to yourself and walk away. Instant forgiver. Say, I am. Amen. Even if you got to say it in faith, say, I am. Amen. An instant forgiver. You really are because that's who's on the inside of you. That's the nature of God that's inside of you. Who doesn't forgive? The old fleshly carnal man. That ain't you. You're a spirit. First John 2. You still with me? First John 2 verse 8. You get anything today? Again, a new commandment. A new commandment I write to you, which, which thing is true in him and is in you because the darkness is passing away. So that's what I was referring to earlier. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, why would he say that? Jesus already came. He already brought the love of God to our hearts. How do we know this? Verse 8, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. The true light already, is already shining. It's already come. And that light's now been shed abroad in your heart, the love of God. If you say that you're walking in the light, but yet you hate your brother, guess what? You're walking in darkness. May not even realize it. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in what? Well, there you go. So we're back to John 13, 35. How will all know? How are all going to know? If you walk in love with one another, how are they going to all know you're a disciple of Jesus? Because the more you walk in the light, the more you walk in the, the glory of God. The more you walk in the manifest presence of God himself. He's that light. He who loves his brother abides in what? What does he do? He doesn't just do it once in a while. He abides in. He lives in the light. And there is no cause for what? Underline it. There is no cause for stumbling in him. Eleven, he who hates his brother is in what? He's in darkness. And he walks in darkness and he does not know what? Tell me. You know what a lot of Christians sadly don't know today? They don't even know where they're going. They think they do. But he said, if you're walking in the darkness, you don't even know where you're going because the darkness has what? Blinded. His eyes. If darkness is blinded to his eyes, this phrase here means you don't even realize it. You don't even realize it. You don't realize that you don't really know where you're going. So what did he tell us in that, in that preceding verse right before that? He said very clearly in verse, uh, verse 10, if you love your brother, you abide in the light and there's no what? Tell me. Tell me out loud, please. No cause, no cause, no cause, no cause, no cause. Satan has no way. To cause you to stumble. I just gave it to you. Why should I walk in love? So Satan has no cause in which to, to uh, allow me to stumble. He can't bring a way for me to stumble, in other words. If I walk in love, what will I not do? I won't, I won't stumble because there'll be no cause for which Satan can take advantage of my life and make me stumble. When, when the devil tempted Jesus afterwards, remember what Jesus said, or remember what the Bible said? says he left him for a more opportune time. But when he came back in the garden and he actually dealt with him in the garden of Gethsemane at the final end of his life, at the garden of Gethsemane, remember what Jesus said? He said, he has nothing in me. How do we know that? Because I've chosen to walk in love. I've chosen to forgive everybody. There's no cause for stumbling in me. He has no way to, he has nothing in me. Meanwhile, he has no way to cause me to stumble. You know what the devil can't do? He can't cause you to stumble into sin. He can't cause you to stumble into darkness. He can't cause you to stumble into his works. Amen. If you're walking in love. Why? Love illuminates your path. Love puts on the light where the darkness flees. Listen, there's so much to this. I wish I had more time. But it won't cause you to stumble, meaning fall into the darkness, fall into what Satan has a trap for you. What would that include? You know why a lot of people don't have answers in life? You know, they pray and they ask God, God, why this? God, why that? Please help me. I need help. I need to know. I need to understand. Please show me. Why don't I understand that? You know why they're walking in darkness many times? They're not walking in light. They're not walking in love. 
If you're walking in love, you're walking in darkness. Your eyes have been blinded. You don't even realize it. And you're asking God to illuminate to you an answer. It's not the answer you need right then. You know what you need? You need to obviously deal with the light of the fact that you're not walking in love. If you walk in love, guess what will come? The answer will. It's not like the answer's not there. You just don't see it. It'll hinder your ability to hear from God. You could add that as a second point. It'll hinder your ability to hear from God because you're walking in darkness. You're walking in blindness. You can't even see what God's trying to show you. God's trying to show you things, but if you get out of love, guess what? You won't see them. You won't see them. So, number three there, if you're walking in love, you won't stumble. And number four, guess what? You'll see what God wants you to see. You'll have your eyes open to what God's trying to reveal to you. If you're having a difficult time seeing from God in your spirit what God's trying to show you, get even answer, get in, inside your life, you ought to ask him about your love walk. You ought to quit. I mean, you can only ask God about something so many times and realize he has no problem talking. Nope. Right? right? I said, right? Amen. Watch how difficult this is. Joshua, what time is it? 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 See, a lot of people do this with God. Why is this going on? Why is it this change? Why? He's already told you it's 1152. What time is it? It's 1152. No, what time is it? 1152. You don't see it. He, you don't see it. He's trying to speak to you, but your eyes have been blinded. You're walking in darkness. If you are walking in the context of darkness, not walking in love, guess what? Your eyes are blind to see and hear from God. It doesn't mean he's not speaking. You can't hear him. You can't see it. Some of you don't realize that's an answer for many of you who are trying to get answers to stuff that maybe that could be the issue. And you need to ask God with some help about that. 1 John chapter 4, last one for this morning. 1 John chapter 4, I done preach myself hungry and happy today. 1 John 4, so I'm leaving, goodbye. No, I'm joking. 1 John 4, I'm not that hungry, believe me. 1 John 4, you still with me? Powerful, let's finish with this one. There's more, I'm just giving you kind of the key things of why it's so important to walk in love. You know what we're going to talk about tonight? How do we do this? Do you really understand it? Do you really understand everything there is to walking about love? Because you know the Bible will teach you how to do it. It's not enough to know I should. Right? It's like knowing that if I was given a, you know, Don gave me a really wonderful gift, man. He gave me a beautiful, uh, a beautiful table saw. Wow, what a wonderful gift. Nice to know I got this gift and everything. But if I've never used one... It looks good, Don. It looks good, man. Y'all see that baby sitting in my shop? Woo! Looks good. You know, I do bring all my family and friends over when they come over. Come here, look at my look at my table saw. Doesn't it look good? Looks good. Good looking saw. And praise the Lord. Amen. You ever use it? Oh no! I just look at it. Doesn't it look good? This looks good. looks like it was meant to do something. You know, look like that baby just sitting there waiting to do something, don't it? Yeah, yeah, Pastor. You ought to learn how to use it. Do what? Don't you realize if I know I got it, that's enough? Not if you want to take advantage of why you were given the saw. I have used it. Not if you haven't been taking advantage, haven't learned how to use it to take advantage. See, you've been given the love of God. You know why a lot of Christians obviously don't use it? They don't know how. They honestly don't. They think they do. We're going to talk about that tonight. 1 John chapter 4. That's why I said this is really one of the most important parts of our series about living as a disciple. Verse 18, you ready? There is no fear in love. Wow, you said that really slow. On purpose. He didn't say there's some, didn't say there's a little bit. Well, come on, think about all we've been talking about. Faith works through. If I'm walking in love, as he's going to tell you in a minute, of a form of, of a true mature love. If I'm walking in love, and there is no fear in love, well, obviously, what's the opposite of faith? Fear. fear. It's a type of fear. Yep. Excuse me, I'm sorry. It's a type of faith. When you walk in fear, you're walking in a type of faith. What you're doing is you're putting more faith in what you fear. Right. Mm, you listening? Yes. But perfect love. 
Read it. There, there is no fear in... There is no fear in... Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. It casts it out. <laughs> what casts it out? Perfect love. Did you know when you choose to understand what perfect love is and walk in it, you don't even have to exercise your strength to get rid of the fear. The love will. It won't let it come on you. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves what? Torment. Well, man, isn't fear wonderful to live in? It's great to be tormented. Now, see, we're back to the tormentors. Right? He who fears, uh, notice this, fear involves torment, but he who fears, very simple. He says it two times in one verse. He reverses the saying of it, but he says the same thing. Notice, again, the last part of the verse. But he who fears has not been what? Made perfect in love. He just said perfect love casts out fear. The same verse. But he who has been made perfect in love, guess what? Does not fear. Saying the same thing. He just reversing it. What's perfect love? Mature love. You've matured in the love walk that you're walking in. I'll tell you, a mature love walk, a mature love walk is an instant forgiver. They come to the place of maturity as a believer where they know if I choose not to forgive, I just open the door for the enemy to come. I'm too mature as a believer to be that stupid and not allow that to happen. Not going to do that. So an instant forgiver is a mature believer in love. A mature believer in love could actually, it's like Brother Hagin said. He said, man, he said, I don't care what, what, and they have said everything against Brother Hagin. It's so funny. It's like, have you ever looked at the guy's lifestyle and how he lived and what he did? He proved everything he said. And you're saying it's not true? Where's your proof? Show me your lifestyle. Remember what James said? Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith. In other words, you can't show your faith without works. You can claim all day long you believe God. But if there's no evidence that's true. What is faith? Relationship to faith without works is death. Faith without love. Faith without love. Faith without love is what? It's dead. Can you prove that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because if I truly understand love, there's another side of this. If I truly understand love, I don't just walk in it. You ready? I receive it. A mature love isn't just something you do. Listen to me. A mature love is not just something you do. It's something you receive. Some of you need to write that down. A mature love is not just something you do. It's something you receive. What do you mean? He's love. If you receive the understanding of God's love for you in the context of a mature believer, guess what you never question? All of his promises. What he said is yours. What he said he's already done for you. And therefore, when the enemy tries to bring fear in relationship to the circumstances, doesn't rattle you a bit. Perfect love knows, nope, my God loves me. He's doing this because he loves me. He's provided it because he loves me. He's going to bless me because he's loved, because he loves me. I walk in love. I honor him. I'm telling you, I know my God loves me, and that's why he wants me well. And that's why he wants me delivered. And that's why he wants me set free. Not because I'm a perfect kid. It's because he loves me. I have a question. How many of your parents have blessed your kids with something even after you know they did wrong in previous times before that? How many ever blessed them? Why would you do that? They did wrong. Why not hold it against them for the rest of your life? You're not, you're, nope, you're not ever going to get another toy. Forget about birthdays. They're done. They're history. Christmas? Oh, no, man. Out the door. No, we're not even going to bring a tree in. You kidding? No. Look what you did. We're going to hold it against you for the rest of your life. No, you know why you don't do that? Because you love your kids. I'll catch up with you after lunch. God's not holding stuff against you. He loves his kids. He's not not kicking your birthday to the side. He's not kicking out Christmas. More importantly, he's not kicking out the promises. You know why he gives them? Because he loves you. Perfect love, say it. Say it this way, mature love. Cast out fear. Mature love isn't just something I walk in, it's something I know. It's something I know that I have from my father. And that's why a lot of people did not understand Brother Hagin because Brother Hagin only walked in love himself. He understood how much God loved him. And because he did, his faith worked consistently because he realized I don't deserve any of this. He did it because he loves me. Can I get a better amen? So the last one, mature love casts out fear.
which would obviously hinder your faith. So mature love casts out fear. Mature love is a twofold love. Mature love is knowing how much he loves you. And a mature love is one who actually walks in consistent love themselves. I say consistent because you still got a flesh to deal with. I know none of you ever say anything you shouldn't say anymore. I know none of you do. You're, you've already dealt with all your mouth, all your words, all your issues, all your flesh. It's out of the way. It's gone. It's history. Doesn't affect you for one moment, right? Never, ever, never. No, we all still sometimes get, unfortunately, we don't need to be making that a practice, by the way. But the point is, you and I got to realize this, okay? It doesn't mean you don't miss it, but if I do, you know what I do? Correct it. Love corrects. Say love corrects. It doesn't just correct when somebody's hurting themselves. It corrects itself. Corrects itself. So this is a mature love. Mature love deals with itself. Mature love forgives everybody. And mature love receives God's love. That's a mature love. You walk in mature love, guess what? Fear is not going to be a problem for you. Not going to be. Why? Love's going to keep it away. When fear tries to knock on your door, love says, nah, sorry. Out of here. You out of here. You gone. History. Come on, somebody. So how important is to walk in love? Well, if you think these things aren't significant, read more of the Bible because there's a whole lot more in there. But I will guarantee you, you and I need to understand the significance of this because it truly is what you and I need to understand of being a disciple. If we're disciples, all would know. Everybody should know you're not obviously a disciple of the world any longer. If people can't, you know, I've said it for years. If people can't distinguish by your actions and what you say and what you do around them that there's something different about you, that you're actually, if you've got to tell people you're born again, something wrong. If you've got to tell people you love Jesus, there's something wrong. You shouldn't have to tell them. They should see it in your actions. That doesn't mean they all say, oh, I bet you love Jesus, don't you? Not everybody would know that. But you know what they're going to know? Well, you're not like me. Not like other people I've met. Something different about you. Yep, I'm a disciple of Jesus. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.